You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen, and I think Bethany will begin to take the kids to, um, to Children's Church. And uh, Bethany, if you'll come up here and help me with this new gadget, I would appreciate it because for some reason, uh, maybe John has done this to me. Is, should I have it this way or that way? <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't matter, okay. And you even know my code, so you can get me in there. And uh, that's, uh, let's see. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank you. Gary, I don't know about you, uh, but if you're having to use some of the newfangled gadgets and gizmos, if you do that, but I've gone to uh, iPad to try to help me out a little bit. I don't know if it's helping me out or not, but anyway, um, anyway, hopefully it is. We've been, uh, we've been on the issue. We, we started talking about anxiety, depression, worry, um, we talked about in this series, fixing your eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said, you know, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the Arthur, the perfecter of our faith. And we, we said this, when you and I get our eyes off of Jesus, when our eyes and our mind and our heart become distracted, then we can become anxious, we can get worried, and we can uh, find ourselves in a, in a bad place. And, and so we talked about that. We looked, at, uh, we looked at Mary and Martha when they invited Jesus into her home. And you remember, Martha became very upset, went in there, looked at Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all the work? Make my sister Mary get up and come help me. And you remember, we said, when we get anxious, when we get worried, when we get a lot on our minds, when the enemy gets us to what ifing and you know what I'm talking about, we can become mean. Martha became mean. Martha lost the very reason that she had invited Jesus into her home. She got mad not only at Mary, she got mad at Jesus. And we said that's what worry and anxiety, it's the tool of the enemy. Nothing is more effective in the life of a believer in, in crippling you and I in our faith than fear. And let me tell you, 365, 366 times every day, the Bible gives you a fear not because that's the tool of your enemy. Paul said to Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear, but of power, dudamus, love, agape love, and a sound mind. But the enemy can get into our life and he can wreak havoc. So we talked about that. Then we talked about our children. You know, raising children in the days that we're raising them, they're dealing with, they're dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, dealing with worry. You can imagine a small child, a toddler, people with masks, people six feet apart, people living in fear, uh, fear on the news, fear on TV, fears everywhere. So how do you get your children to lead a life of victory over fear? And we talked about four keys. You remember? 
We said we need to teach our children four things. Sometimes they come to problems in their life, difficulties, crisis, to where they must do one of four things. First of all, we need to teach our children how to avoid. We talked about Joseph, how Joseph got up in Potiphar's house. What did he do? He ran. Sometimes we need to teach our children there are people, circumstances, and situations that they need to flee, they need to avoid. Sometimes we said you can't avoid them, right? Sometimes you're in a marriage, you're in a job, you're in a school, you're somewhere where you can't avoid, and you've got to just simply realize, God, I'm the salt, light, and yeast, and I'm here to alter my situation. You've put me here in this dark place to affect it for your good, right? So we teach our children that. Avoid, but if you can't avoid, alter Realize you're salt, light, and yeast. Circumstances, situations are not changing you. You're changing that environment that you're in, right? And then when we said avoid, you can't avoid. Sometimes you can't even alter. All you do makes no difference whatsoever. And then you accept. And what do you mean by that, Brother Jeff? Sometimes we need to teach our children that sometimes you're in circumstances, you're in a situation that, listen, there is nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. Now, your question is this. Everybody listen. You teach your child, God, what are you trying to show me about me? Right? And then the fourth one was alter. What does that mean? I mean, not alter, but that means just simply what? Adapt. You're just adapting. And what is that? You recognize, God, there's some things in, your, in my life that you're trying to change in me. You've brought them to my awareness. Hey, it may be temper, men. God may be dealing with you in the area of temper, anger. And God's showing you something. What God is saying is you're not in this situation to change it. You're in this situation for these people, these circumstances to do what? To change you, right? Well, today we're dealing with the subject, and I think it's important for parents, how to keep your child from ending up under a bridge. You ever thought about that? Now, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, because we started out looking at this passage, and believe you me, this passage has something to do with homeless. Because let me say this, if you and I don't teach our children how to handle worry, anxiety, if we don't teach them how to navigate life, as they come to different situations and circumstances, then the reality is there's a probability that they could simply break down to the degree that they end up under a bridge. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, down there around uh, verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Gary prayed a moment ago. And Gary has said that his whole life and all the time that I've known him. You know, the Lord is near. And the Lord is near. Paul said the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be... The picture there in the Greek is to be pulled apart. Do not be pulled apart, anxious about anything, but in everything 
through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and what what's the response what's the outcome of that and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus let's pray again Lord we love you and we thank you we give you all glory and we pray everything in the name of Jesus amen well amen you know there is uh, John that picture that I took of the title of this message up under that bridge uh, the particular bridge and this was on Facebook and I actually did a video um, I was going down Gibraltar when I came past the bridge that goes over the interstate here on Gibraltar when I looked, there was a little, there was a 15-year-old girl, teenage girl, and, and she does what my daughters do. She, it was kind of cool. It was in the morning. She had her shirt pulled down, and she was kind of hunkered into her shirt, and she was sitting on the ledge, and, and she was crying. Now, when I stopped her, her, I learned later, her boyfriend was up in the crevice up in there tucked up under the interstate and he was asleep well I had these sack lunches I got out and walked up there and you know begin to try to carry on a little bit of a conversation with her and before long I I couldn't help it I said look let me give you this sack lunch I said are you hungry she said yes I am she had spent the night under that bridge beautiful girl and I said uh, why are you here and she began to cry and sob and said, me and my mom got into an argument and it erupted into the point that I just simply said I couldn't take it anymore and I packed my few things and I got up and I left and what little she had was in a, was in a backpack. And I looked at her and I said, this is not God's will for your life. God doesn't want this. I said, let me ask you something. Would you like to take my phone and call your mom right now? She tears just sobbing she said yes sir she called her mom and I can only imagine the joy in her mom you could hear it it exploded off that phone she she was crying and she said mom and the mom said, called her by name and the mom began to sob and to cry and they were both sobbing and crying and she said mom I'm here in Jackson and I'm up under a bridge and I've spent the night I want to come home And I thought to myself, you know, how, how quickly that happened. I was at a writer's conference in Tuscaloosa one time when the conference speaker came up, knew where I was at, knew our homeless ministry, and this prominent individual that everyone in this room would know her name immediately, looked at me, began to cry, and said, look for my daughter because she may be on the streets of Jackson. You never know. You know, years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't know if you remember that movie, Jingle All the Way. You know, it's a satirical kind of movie about you and I trying to get the latest gift or gadget for children. Uh, back when Emily was little, it was Cabbage Patch Dolls. You know, you were fighting through the crowd trying to get a Cabbage Patch Doll. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie, Jingle All the Way, this satirical look, is trying to get his son a turbo man. You know what I'm talking about? 
a turbo man. And he's fighting this crowd. And, he, and, he, and at one point, he visualizes that if he doesn't get his son this turbo man, that his son may end up homeless. And he pictures his son homeless, just kind of a desperate individual. And it just, it, it just causes such fear in him. He, he, he just is overwhelmed. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with this sermon? Because the reality is that if you and I are not careful, every homeless man or woman you and I see is a story. There is a story behind every one of them. You know, we've been doing this ministry for over 20 years, and this may be topical-type sermon, but forgive me. But we've been doing this for over 20 years. We've had homeless living in our buildings. We've had homeless living under our buildings. We've had homeless living in the closet of the hot water heater back there. We've, we've had homeless all around our church. We've opened up the house next door at one time for homeless men, and we started a men's shelter there. Then when that began to kind of fall by the wayside, we opened it up for a women's shelter, and women filled it up. It's just been you. This church has always been about homeless. It's always been about homeless. But the question is, how do I keep my child from becoming homeless? You know, there's some things that I've observed in 20-something years of being under bridges, interacting with homeless. Parent, I want you to listen to me. Without, almost without exception, the number one reason that most men and women end up under a bridge is these next two words. John, can we put them up there? No, Dad. Are we having problems back there? Is it not coming up? Almost 100% of the time. In fact, I would say this. I have to really rack my brain because every man and woman I've ever met under a bridge, and note even the 15-year-old girl, we weren't calling your dad. Her dad wasn't out looking for her. It was her mom. The reality is for most men and women who end up under a bridge, they don't have a dad. He either died early he never materialized or he abandoned the family in the formative years. But what you find is you never find a dad. You know, we live in a society today that's kind of marginalized dads. But you know dads are important. You know Black Lives Matter. It was interesting after the George Floyd uh, incident, oh, the tragedy to this nation, and Black Lives Matter, that organization, started by feminist Marxist. It's interesting that on Black Lives Matter, on their website, was no reference to men whatsoever. Not to men, not to dads, not to nobody. It's interesting. Why? Because in, we live in a nation today, we live in a world today that's marginalized dad. We have matriarchal homes rather than patriarchal homes. What does that mean? The Bible from Genesis to Revelation basically says this, a patriarchal home is a home where dad is the leader. He's giving guidance. He's watching over. Now, you know, a lot of times when you preach to this single mom, say, well, what do I do? 
I'm trying to raise my children alone by myself. I don't have a man. He left me a long time ago. Ladies, listen, you incorporate into the lives of your children godly men who can provide an example for your children. That's why the body of Christ, that's why the church is what it is. You know, I love these scriptures because sometimes people say, I don't have a dad. Listen to these scriptures. I love these. Psalm 27:10. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Psalm 68, 4, 6 through 6a says, His name is the Lord and rejoice before Him. Listen to this. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in His holy dwelling. Listen, God sets the lonely. Don't you love this? God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are nothing but dust. Isn't that great? Take your Bible. Take a, take a right from Philippians. Look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. You know, if this, if this thing of... If this thing of uh, if this thing of, of, of men, of dads, of fathers is so critical, and men, how important that is for you to provide that leadership. Look what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Because I thought to myself, I thought this is a picture of a dad. He says here, for you know that we dealt with you. Listen to Paul as he talks to this church at Thessalonica. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Now watch this, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives that are worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Don't you love that? You see, that's a dad. I remember years ago when Emily was trying to pass a test to get into a, to, to be a radiation therapist. And you've heard me tell this story. She kept coming up just a little bit short, and she missed this national test that she had to have by one point. Man, I was upset. I was traumatized. So I flew to St. Paul, Minneapolis, went to the licensing where that test is graded there, and I begged for that one point. Never forget that. And I, I remember these two people that were the most powerful people in the country that determined x-ray technicians, radiation therapists, all these technical skills, this licensing board. I remember the two representatives coming down in this office building looking at me, and they said, let me ask you a question. You're the guy from Mississippi? I said, yes. And the woman looked and she said, you mean to tell me you're here on business, right? I said, no. She said, you mean to tell me that you got on a plane, flew from Jackson to St. Paul, Minneapolis to contend for one point for your daughter to pass this test? I said, that's right. She began to cry. They had an out, this was a massive building, beautiful building, an indoor garden, balconies that looked on the inside of this office building on this garden scene. People lined those balconies to see the dad who had come to St. Paul, Minneapolis to plead for a point. Let me tell you something, every child deserves that. 
But I can promise you this much when you go up onto the bridges and you look at the men and women across this city that have somehow been lost in our society, you'll find over and over and over and over again, no dad, no father, no protector, no provider. He is critical. Dad, you're critical. You want to keep children under the, out from under the bridges, Dad, you have to learn that you need to be actively and aggressively involved in the lives of your children. I had a dad this past week that wept and cried. This man could buy this church. He wept and cried over his son because he doesn't know where he's at. We're living in a world today of drugs and alcohol and addictions that are almost beyond description in our day. And God knows we need dads. So, number one, you want to keep your child out from under a bridge. If you're, if you're married and, and you're a dad and you have children, stay actively, aggressively involved in their life. If you're a single mom trying to raise your kids, then incorporate a godly Christian man to provide and to fill that void in your life. Do whatever you have to do. Secondly, what's the number re- second reason? Substance abuse. I remember years ago, I remember years ago, a man by the name of David. David lived in a tent back down here behind the building, way back down in the woods. Sat one day with David, and I said, David, what I asked so often, I said, how did you end up here? And he looked at me, and he was drinking a beer, and I'll never forget, as he drank that beer, he looked at me, and he made this statement. He said, you know, Brother Jeff, from the time I could remember, he said, I've been drinking these. He laughed. He said, I can remember my dad when I was just a little small boy. He would take the nipple and somehow secure it and wrap it on a beer bottle and hand it to me. He said, Brother Jeff, I have drank my whole life just like my dad. A lot of times, almost without exception, children end up under bridges because there's an addiction. But that addiction usually has come by way of parents. In other words, there's what Chuck Swindoll called a generational bent. Children that have been bent toward alcoholism, toward drug abuse, toward pornography, toward some kind of addictive behavior because it was never dealt with in the life of the parent. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child, hedge in, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Dad, training up, giving those boundaries means this, that if I've got a problem in my life, if there's an addiction, if there's a tendency toward alcohol, toward drugs, toward pornography, then I'm doing everything that I can to bring that addictive nature under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I wrote down a parent with a history of substance abuse never, who never comes to terms, raises their children in the company of that addiction and almost for certain points them in the same direction. 
Many of the homeless around this city are men and women that have been raised in alcoholic, drug-induced, drug-abused homes, and they nearly, they just merely mirror what they've been seeing in the life of their parents. The parent either, I wrote down here, the parent either failed to recognize the problem or refused to get help. Let me give you a classic example. You know Whitney Houston, you know what her nickname was? Her nickname was The Voice. Whitney Houston, The Voice. Whitney Houston died at 48 years of age. She was on cocaine and she drowned in her bathtub. Bobby Christina Brown, anybody know who she is? Bobby Christina Brown was Whitney Houston's daughter. She died at 22 years of age. Do you want to guess how? Marijuana, alcohol, cocaine. She drowned in her bathtub exactly the same way that her mom did. Cece Winan said at the, at the funeral of Whitney Houston, said, I begged Whitney, Whitney, you've got a voice from God. Stay with us. Sing gospel music. Sell out to Christ. Live for the Lord. But Whitney Houston went the way of, of, of secular music. Her voice played out. And on the night, I think it was the day or the day around the Grammy Awards, she took her life. But if I could have looked at when, uh, Whitney years ago and said, Whitney, one day you're going to have a beautiful, she was beautiful, a beautiful 22-year-old daughter who if you don't come to terms with this addiction, this stronghold in your life, if you don't begin to see God's purpose and His plan for your life, if you don't come to terms with this, one day your daughter, 22 years of age, will die the same way you did. Almost without exception, people who are living under bridges, people who are homeless, are people who have given in, thrown in the towel to an addiction that so often began in the life of a parent. You know, if there's anything that I could say to, to parents is that's enough reason to get help. That's enough reason to get help. And let me tell you, everybody listen closely. Sometimes even in the life of a believer, even in the life of men and women that I believe are Christians, an addiction can begin to grip their life to the degree that it will hold them in bondage. And let me tell you what Jesus Christ does. He demands to be the master, the Lord, and he will not relinquish that, not even to a substance, whatever it may be. Pornography today is in an epidemic. I want you to listen. Pornography today is at an epidemic. It is destroying marriages, destroying homes. It is an epidemic among young men today. It's becoming more an epidemic among women. The reality is, the truth of the matter is, is that I carry a computer in my pocket. It has the ability to pull up all kinds of filth, pornography to a degree. And let me tell you the key. Let me tell you what I tell men a lot of times about pornography. Now the feds bait men into pornography. They'll bait your sons into pornography. Once they start going down that road, they'll have them before long in child pornography, and they can get ready. There'll be a hit. There'll be a knock on the door. The reality is, we're living in a world today of of all kinds of addictions, all kinds of difficulties. 
And men, let me say this, when it comes to pornography, there has to be some accountability on this. There has to be accountability on your computers. There has to be accountability on your TVs and all electronics. You've heard me say this. Tubi um, was, you know, uh, Roku, Roku, TV, the accessibility of some of those things. I looked at Sheila and I said, Sheila, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with it. We've got to get this off. Now, I'm the pastor. Sheila, pull out my phone. Sheila, I, I can't deal with this. This app, this, 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 you know, I can't deal with this. Why? Because let me tell you, if I don't, hear me, if I don't deal with addictive addiction in my life, then I'll never be an effective pastor and leader to you. Can't do it. And, and so the reality is, is that people end up under a bridge because of substance abuse that's never been dealt with by parents. Hey, listen, a dad who's got a teenage son is far better off to say, son, sit down. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about the, let's talk about the, we used to say years ago, the birds and the bees. I never get. I asked my dad that. I said, Dad, when are you going to have that talk with me? He looked at me kind of like he was a little embarrassed. Said, well, son, what do you need to know? I said, nothing. That's all right. You see, children need leadership. They don't need Hollywood talking to them about sexuality. They need you as a parent under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit through His Word giving guidance. Dad, this is when you look at a son and you say, uh, what my dad said to me. I said, we were sitting over here at Primo's. I said, Dad, when do you get beyond lust and, and, and this battle with sexual temptation? And my dad said, son, you don't. Johnny Gooch said he asked his dad. He said, Dad, when does that go away? His dad in his 80s said, son, I'll let you know when it does. You deal with an addiction because you can't pass it on to children. Let me give you one more and then we'll close. Third one is severe anxiety, panic, depression. A lot of people are under bridges because they literally cannot do what we talked about at the very beginning. They can't do what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. They live with a, an anxiety and a depression. Hear me. Everybody look this way. They deal with panic. I remember a doctor years ago, a specialist. He came help with our holiday, one of our holiday meals, and then he asked me this. He said, I would like to get, what was the restaurant, Sheila? Do you remember? It was, it was one of the, you know, beautiful, one of the upscale restaurants in the city, uh, ta cloth tablecloths, cloth napkins. He said, what I'd like to do, I'd love for you to get as many homeless as you can. And he said, I'd like to take them out for a nice meal. So I'll never go. We loaded up two vans. We packed those vans full. We went up under bridges. We told them, hey, listen. And we carried them to this upscale, super nice cloth tablecloth, cloth napkins, beautiful, immaculate. He gave those homeless men and women menus and said, you order whatever you want. And, buddy, they did. Couldn't order alcohol. Man, I mean, they were getting steaks. They were getting seafood. They were getting everything. But one, one homeless man 
And if I said his name, you'd know him. He kept getting up, going out. And I would see him sitting there, and he would be just doing this. And then finally he'd get up and he'd go out. And that doctor looked at me and he said, uh, he said, we're getting ready to eat. Don't you think that man needs to come in? And I went out and sat down next to him. He said, Brother Jeff, I, I just can't do it. So I'm just, I'm at the point of panic. A lot of men and women end up under bridges because the truth of the matter is their anxiety is at a dysfunctional level. It's so much so, I wrote this down, they cannot cope in the real world. They abandon all relationships and they, come, they become a nomadic loner. The tendency of people who live under the bridges is to self-medicate their anxiety. Hey, listen, I don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can tell you I've been there. Don't, don't lift your hand, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever had a panic attack? There was a form of anxiety and stress and worry and panic so heavy into me after I came home from Africa that I told you I couldn't get a haircut. You know what I tell people about a panic attack? A panic attack is so bad you will do whatever you have to do to get out of it. It is like being in a horror movie that you can't get up and leave. And for many men and women who live up under bridges, hear me, they have been raised in an environment. They have grown up in an environment. They are often crippled by a level of anxiety, depression, and worry that is so dysfunctional. They have panic attacks to the degree they self-medicate. Alcohol, marijuana, over-the-counter, under-the-counter, they'll do whatever they have to do to stop that level of anxiety. They're in bondage. Parent, I want you to listen to me closely. We're dealing today with children that are, they have irritable bowel. We're medicating our children because the truth of the matter is there is a level of fear, anxiety, and worry today that is in our nation and around the world that are, is permeating our children even to the degree that they are having to now to depend on some form of medication. Medication is all right if it's balanced with, first of all, a strong, clear understanding of the sovereignty of God and the love and the mercy and the grace of a loving Heavenly Father. As you permeate your child with spiritual, with that faith, you are giving them the greatest tool you'll ever give them to fight the enemy in the area of fear. But listen to me closely. It's not to say that medication is wrong, but medication should be balanced with behavioral therapy. In other words, you're trying to come to an understanding of the problem so that your child can eventually be delivered from this bondage, this stronghold of the enemy. Because if it doesn't happen, there's a strong possibility. I wrote this down, parent. If you fail to teach spiritual principles, modeling a daily walk with Christ, a clear understanding of the sovereign, loving, heavenly Father, if you allow today's stress to continue to creep into the lives of your children, it will destroy your children and it'll set them on a path that there may be a day you can't get them off of. 
because often anxiety and depression to that degree will eventually lead either to an addictive behavior, lifestyle, or it leads to suicide. I'm going to close there. Um, because the reality is, is that we could, I could go farther, and I don't, I don't want to do that. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, this is a different kind of sermon. You know me, I preach through verse-by-verse, verse, exegetical, expository pre preaching. We finish 1 Corinthians. But I want you to hear the heart of your pastor. I've been so burdened here lately over, over children and what they're being raised in. I've been so burdened over our kids today that it keeps me up at night. I mean, what young families are trying to raise their children in now? Imagine children now. The instability of this nation. Instability of our government. The constant bombardment of news and news and commentary. The battle of partisan politics. The anger, the hostility, the racial tension. The, the gender conflicts. Uh, LGBTQ movement. Uh, you start looking at all the things we're throwing at children today. Young children that are impressionable. They see us. And if they don't see a mom and dad that have a strong, solid faith in Jesus Christ, then imagine what their world looks like. I don't need CNN or Fox News, neither one, to tell me how bad the world is. The indwelling Holy Spirit tells me that every time I pray. And let me tell you what I tell my children. If China and Russia joined together right now and defeated our military, which is a possibility, defeated our military overseas, gave us an unbelievable loss of military power and strength. Hey, listen, for all those that you don't believe that, need I remind you of my dad when he was a teenager when Pearl Harbor was bombed? And immediately our Navy was lost. And you may say, well, you know, what if China, what if Russia joined together? What if they were to attack this nation? What if all of a sudden we were invaded by a foreign government and Washington is dismantled, our economy is now, everything changes? Hey, listen, we serve a sovereign God. And I'm one of his kids. And he said, do not be anxious about nothing. Trust me. Let's stand. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you. And Lord, maybe I've struggled a little bit here. I don't know. This is, uh, this is out of my comfort zone. But yet, dear Lord, if I can help parents, whether they're in this room or whether they're watching a live stream, to realize how important it is for a nuclear family, how important it is for a dad to be hands-on involved, to be actively involved, how a single mom who may be raising your children may have to look outside, find a godly Christian family member, a friend, a church leader, and say, I need you to come into the life and 
help me with this son or this daughter. For those that may be battling with some kind of substance abuse, some kind of addiction, who need to come to terms with that, if nothing else, for the sake of their children so that they don't pass this weakness down to the next generation. Lord, I pray today that it can be a little bit of a wake-up call first to parents as to how important it is to be raising children in the way they should go, training them up in the way they should go, pointing them to fix their eyes on Jesus, introducing them to Christ. May children grow up seeing a coffee cup and an open Bible by a chair, by a bedside, in a dining room. May they see a mom and a dad that are actively every day invested into the things of God and they, they're able to follow that example. And Lord, if a mom or dad may have an addic addiction, a problem right now, may Lord, you give them the courage to get the help that they need. May they realize those little eyes that are looking at them right now need mom and dad to come to terms with what may be holding them in bondage, whatever it may be. So that not only can they be delivered, but they may deliver generations they may never see. So God, I pray today, we pray especially for the homeless, the men and women who make up every, probably just about every street in the city. They're tucked under bridges. They're behind buildings. Many of them dread the winter because the winter will not give them adequate clothing, adequate warmth. They'll struggle. For many of them, they've long since lost touch with family. Their family is maybe another homeless man or woman, somebody near them. Lord, we pray that you might continue to help us and help organizations that, that, are, um, that some of our members are involved in help uh, Help us to help the homeless. Lord, as we come to this time of the year, Lord, we love you. We pray first and most of all that, Lord, if there's someone that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that right now, dear Lord, that you would cause them to give their life to you through the power of your Holy Spirit as it speaks and it breaks down, that they might give, give their heart to you. Lord, whatever decision, we give you the glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment you come.